Hello and welcome to the Church Music Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Harmon. I am so excited to share this podcast episode with you today. I had the opportunity to have a conversation with Nathan Myrick. His book, Music for Others, Care, Justice, and Relational Ethics in Christian Music, was released earlier this year. And the title just really caught my attention. How do we bring about care, ethics, and social justice, or justice at all, in our music, in what we sing? And this conversation that we had was one that I could have just continued on for hours and hours, um, and I think Nathan probably could too. There is so much to unpack here. Nathan is a theological ethicist and ethnomusicologist also known as researcher, writer, and teacher. He is amazing and very, very knowledgeable. Um, And I think that you are going to really enjoy this conversation. So without any further ado, my conversation with Nathan Myrick. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Well, thanks for having me, Greg. Oh, glad to have you. So we got lots to talk about, but first I want to have you introduce yourself and talk a little about a little bit about who you are and what what you do. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, my name's Nathan Myrick. I am the assistant professor of church music at Mercer University. Um, I work on well, I mean, obviously, I teach courses. <laughs> uh, I teach <laughs> church music, music theology, uh, music, music and ethics, and I also teach the uh, understanding of rock and roll course for the for the university as well. Um, but I, I work on, as far as research goes, the intersection of music and theology and ethics. So, what do people? think about when they sing, when they write, when they perform, when they music, uh, how do that, how does music influence their perceptions of God and each other? And how does that sort of all work together in this very obviously dynamic and fluid kind of way? Uh, but that's what I study. So awesome. that's the quick version. <laughs> and, uh, how did you, how did you get involved in music? What's your, what's your story? Oh man. Okay. So I think I told this, this story somewhere else before, but, uh, when I was like five years old, my mom had this acoustic guitar and, and, uh, it's actually that guitar right there. Wow. And, uh, I, I grabbed it and, uh, I was just like sitting there playing on it. And I I looked at my mom and I said, mom, I think that God is calling me to be a musician or something like that. And or a music pastor. I mean, it was just some like weird thing for a kid to say. And then I just started banging on the guitar, singing Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road, you know? <laughs> and it was just this sort of, my mom still tells this story. That's amazing. Um, as sort of this prophetic moment of, yes, clarity, and then also just like, you know, <laughs> childishness, which I That's think amazing. still kind of carries on. This is still how I operate, clarity and childishness all at once. Um, but I I did, um, see here, did several iterations of college. I'm a two-time college dropout. Um, uh, the first time was I dropped out in 2002 or 2003 and, uh, started the punk band. It was called one fall short. We played up in the, the upper Midwest. We were based in Minnesota. We did that for about three years. Um, and then that kind of fell apart as punk rock bands tend to do. And, uh, and then I got a couple of jobs. I worked as a service technician for a while for Marvin windows. I had a, uh, like a service truck and I drove around again, the upper Midwest. Uh, I had, I think I had boy, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and uh, a little bit of Iowa, Wisconsin and Illinois as like my service area. Wow. So I just kind of spent, I would spend the whole week out, you know, in a hotel in my van, just go from job site to job site, fixing windows. I did that for a couple of years, went back to college. Uh, transferred to a different college actually up in Canada and um, went for a music ministry degree there. Thought I'd finished it, left, got a gig with a, a music ministry to actually do the thing I had trained for and, uh, and then re- found out after the fact that I was uh, I was like three credits short because my degree program oh my gosh. 
after my first semester there. And so I was just grandfathered in and, the, and a bunch of the courses were no longer offered. So my transcript looked like, uh, you know, like pencil lines, you know, like scribbled out and like a line around like an arrow point. It goes here and all of that. And so, you know, in the shuffle, I had a course that got missed. And so I, I ended up going back to school after I'd done a year touring with uh, CTI Music Ministries based out of uh, Wilmer, Minnesota. Um, and uh, finished that degree. And so I finally graduated with my undergrad in, I think, 2010. So that was, you know, I, I squeezed my four-year degree into like, you know, eight, nine years or something like that. Um, and uh, and so then I, I went to Fuller uh, for, for seminary and I did my MA there. And then I went to Baylor for my PhD and uh, I did my MA in theology and the arts and then I did my PhD in church music. So I've been involved in some form or function of music and Christianity for a very long time. <laughs> That's awesome. That is fantastic. I, I, I think stories like that are just amazing to hear just because it's, it's not, you know, I think that's anybody with music, really. It's, it's never the straightest path. It's kind of this yeah. moving around here and there and everywhere. So sure. that's, sure. that's kind of fun. Well, the reason I have you on is because you wrote a book that I have absolutely loved reading. It's called Music for Others. Let me get the full title here. Music for Others, Care, Justice, and Relational Ethics in Christian Music. That is a long title. It promises a lot and it delivers a lot too. I, I absolutely just, I loved it. So you start off the introduction of the book talking about interviewing people at the South by Southwest Music Festival. Yep. What in the world led you to say, I'm going to interview people at South by Southwest? That's a great question. Um, okay, so when I was at Fuller, they were doing these immersion courses. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of the thing about the Fuller uh, Theology and the Arts degree was that you would go to these different festivals or events and activities and you would do an immersion course and have these theological discussions all over these places. And so when I was there, it was at Sundance. So I went to Sundance Film Festival mm -hmm. and uh, had a great time, a great experience with that. Fast forward about five years and I was at Baylor finishing up my PhD and I was starting field work for my dissertation. And Fuller now had the South by Southwest Theology and Popular Music Immersion course. And okay. I knew the director of the program and uh, I was kind of crafting the field work for the dissertation. And um, what I had been doing for the field work was studying churches, studying congregations. So mm -hmm. going there, worshiping with them, asking questions, uh, observing them in worship, doing interviews, kind of getting a feel of their backstory, their history and all that kind of stuff. And um, I needed something to sort of triangulate those congregations experiences against. And when uh, South by Southwest was in Austin, I was in Waco, it was just an hour drive, yeah. you know, it was really close. And um, I, I pitched it to the uh, the director of that program, and and he was like, oh yeah, it's great. Please come, yeah, study with the students, interview them, get a sense of what's going on. And so that's how it happened. I just I went and uh, and hung out with them for the the festival, and just sort of embedded myself in this little cohort of theology and popular music students who were almost all worship leaders in their home churches, but they were all you know at this this one gathering at Fuller or that Fuller put together rather at South mm -hmm. So that's how that interview process started out was just going and talking to people. I think that's, that's awesome because it, it, it gives this context of, you know, and, and as you're, as you're talking in the book, it, it starts off with the broad context of music, right? It's not just music in the church, right? And you're asking these questions. What does music do? We're going to get to that. But yeah. I think that's a great place to start is not just, okay, so those of us who are, whether we're church musicians or we're just members of a church, we have our own idea of music based on our experiences in the church. Right. But what if somebody outside of the church, whether it is on music in the church or just music in general, what is it that they're perspective is. And I think that's a great place to start. So I was, was just taken by that right off the bat, that that just really was, was such a great starting point because I thought that just really just fit so well, because a lot of times what we do is we just kind of get in our little bubble in our circle and we just, let's talk about church music with church music people, because that's what we do. 
but it also, I think, needs to be what is it that's being perceived by others? Or just what are people's general perceptions of music? Because music is something that's really neither sacred nor secular. It's music. It's the words that we put to it that make it one or the other. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And so I, I think when we're, when we're looking at the, the book itself, what was it that led you um, to write this book? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, so part of it is like the answer is partially, you know, past history and experiences and doing things and just having these questions sort of formulate and like, ah, I should, you know, do something about this. And then the other part of it is that the book that actually came out of these initial questions that I wanted to pursue is actually very different because it was based in the field work that I did. And so mm -hmm. it was really informed by the research, um, which, I mean, every academic says that, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm no exception in this regard. So the, the original questions that I had came out of experiences primarily working with uh, CTI, Carpenters Tools International, and and going and performing at these various locations around the US, Canada, I uh, did the Philippines, Honduras, and El Salvador as well as just like my, my touring areas. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was in prisons and homeless shelters and halfway houses and rehabs and shelter camps and internment camps and deportation centers and uh, and even even say like things that became very very ethically loaded much much later ten years later mm -hmm. uh, I was at like I was at Boken Camp in near Corpus Christi which mm -hmm. is a at the time was an internment camp for unaccompanied minors who were coming into the U S. Uh, I learned later the reason they were in the U S. was because they were uh, victims of sex trafficking right and they yeah. escaped or been picked up by ice or whatever and so they were just being held in these these shelter camps right. Boking was one of those and um so uh having these experiences that were tied to music for me because i was there performing uh and playing music with this these ba these bands um really had this impact on my thinking about first of all who god is how god relates to people um, what it is about, say, Christianity that makes it tick. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, I grew up in a certain kind of way. I had this this experience as a white male evangelical growing up in a conservative town and family and everything else that in some ways is very healthy and in other ways is really dysfunctional because if you, you know, unless you're able to do something like dialectic historical parsing, which, you know, is very academic, but like mm -hmm. in normal life, it's what you need to be able to do to function. You have to take this wholesale kind of thing where you have to work really hard to make certain aspects of your uh, life. Uh, sorry, like make have to work really hard to make certain aspects of your experiences fit into this picture. Well, and then they don't. And sometimes that that picture, that worldview, that frame or that box or whatever gets, gets kind of blown up. So that experience and those experiences really, really blew up that box. And it started making me ask questions about, well, what like what is ethics in music and what's good about it? Like, how, how do we do good music? Because part of the experience that I had was the, the sort of helplessness of dealing or encountering these really dire situations and just like, well, I play guitar, <laughs> you know, right. um, that's not helpful. Uh, well, maybe it is helpful, but we have to be able to figure that out. You have to live with yourself and go to bed at night and sleep, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's the, the bigger, the bigger backstory. And of course, as I sort of focused from, you know, broader theology, theology in the arts, theology and music, church music, it just kind of, kind of focused on this all right well we have this bounded context of all right this is church we have a thing we think is church what does music do there and let's just take something that's manageable because otherwise mm -hmm. you just get into this whole speculation into the ether of you know well music does this that the other thing and you get you know doctrines of the spheres and mm -hmm. you know all this kind of stuff uh and so so as it just narrowed and narrowed and narrowed it got more and more to field work and like what are, what are people actually doing and how do people understand music because well, what is church music? Like, what is music in worship? What what are these things? Because I could certainly uh, imagine something, and I could make that make a lot of sense to itself, right? right. That's that's philosophy, good philosophy. Anyway, it coheres to itself. Um, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily describe or explain reality. And so, ethnography, fieldwork. Yeah. So that's how it kind of got to that point. Yeah, I mean, and that that makes total sense because you know if you if you're Again, if you're starting out broad, yes, you want broad, but 
you know, broad just doesn't really give you that direction and that focus. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get to that focus then. What is the role of music and worship? <laughs> well, okay. So I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you an easy answer. Um, you might not like it and I'm not sure that I do, but okay. based on the research, I like my opinion is that music in worship is for relationships. It orients us towards ourselves and towards others, and it allows us to encounter or to have relational experiences. And uh, there, there's all kinds of academic ease I could throw at that. But really, it, it's just it's about building and supporting relationships. That's the big, like yeah. easy pat answer, right? But the trouble is that like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Because you can have bad relationships. That's a bad reality, right? It doesn't mean True. it's unreal. True. It doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with that person. It just means that that's a bad relationship. Uh, and so it's a bad reality. So music is kind of the same way in a certain sort of sense. Um, so so what makes it good? That's That was really the question. So my, my argument is that music and worship is good when it builds or supports just and or healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Which then leads us into this question of justice. So that, you know, that that runs the gamut. But I'm sure you've got questions about that. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, so one of the, one of the, I had a college professor, and I don't know if he came up with it or it came out of some book somewhere. Uh, but he, he would say regularly, we sing what we believe and we believe what we sing. And I think that really... You know, as I was as I was reading through your book, I, I came back to that quote again and again and again, because it really is, I think, when you're talking about it on a relationship level, it's that community aspect, right? It's not just me singing by myself. I can do that anywhere. But when we're talking about worship, it's a collective, it's a community thing, and it reinforces what our faith is. Because if you go back in the history of the church, when people weren't able to access the learning that we have now it was in church where they would learn the theology right they wouldn't have the the, the commentaries and the theological studies or anything like that they right. would they would learn it through worship and learn it through that ritual and that routine and that habit but it was done collectively sure. and, and and so i think you know there's there's a lot of power in that yeah. And that, that leads me to the direction then of over the past 17 months of life that we've had, we've lost that. And, yes. and I think that's, at least for me personally, I think that's one of the biggest struggles out of all of this. You know, I, I can do okay with stuff online, you know, but it's not the same as being gathered together. It's right. not the same as singing together. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, like, so that that quote from your 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 professor, that that's a uh, that's a, a variation of the, the Lex Credendi, Lex Arandi, mm -hmm. which is the law of praying is the law of believing it's attributed right. to Prosper of Aquitaine from the you know fifth or sixth century. Um, and, and it certainly has has had a lot of influence on the way that we think about and sort of imagine ourselves to be a, in worship. And, and I think that that believing thing is really, really difficult, um, especially if, you, if, we, if we say that believing matters, <laughs> which we think it does, right? We, Usually. We but, then we, but then we end up with this really, so if you think about it any further, it's like, well, believing what? Uh, and, you know, and, and do we agree? And can we believe the right things? And you know, move, 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 until you get to this point of singularity, right? This is the... Mm -hmm. The, the law of Occam's razor applied at, you know, ad infinitum to human life and human belief. Right. Uh, and within, say, very conservative Christian, I'll say fundamentalist sort of mindsets, you have to be right. Your beliefs have to be right or mm -hmm. you don't get in. You know, you don't belong, yep. you don't go to heaven, whatever it is getting in might be. The trouble is that you don't agree at that level with anybody else. It's just you, and you're the only one that's right. You're the only one that's getting in. You're the only one, uh, whatever, and you can't actually live in community with anybody. And then that presents this other, other, other sort of meta dilemma, mm -hmm. which is, okay, but then what do you do about do not forsake the gathering of others? Uh, what about my friends? What, like, you know, yeah. all of oh, Absolutely. At what level do your beliefs have to be right? Well, maybe that's not actually the issue, right? Maybe, maybe that's not actually what God's after. 
I don't know. Uh, and so, um, yeah. so that that's the the sort of the the big picture belief and and sort of singing and believing sort of thing. But on the the smaller level, or maybe the more let's talk about realistic level, mm-hmm. you have these sorts of things where we join together to sing. And we have to have some sort of shared language, something to share and gather around, maybe to debate, maybe to argue with, but something that we agree upon as being the thing, right? Right. And if we don't know what the thing is, well, then we're arguing against something else. And mm-hmm. and that kind of gets through the this, this genre idea that we have with music and styles and worship wars and this kind of, you know, mumbo jumbo this is where we get into trouble because we don't actually realize what we're talking about. We kind of run past each other. And so we fight over the style or even the substance of the music without recognizing what the music is and that the music is actually for us to be a part of together. So it's for us to live together, to wrestle. I mean, and then by the way, that's that's what Israel means, right? Yes. Wrestles with God. He who yeah, wrestles exactly. with God. It's to wrestle, to, to follow God, to follow Jesus is to wrestle with mm-hmm. God. Yeah, <laughs> this is absolutely. how this works, and that yeah. means wrestling with each other, you know, and even disagreeing and and having these sorts of these sorts of things. Um, in a sense, this is an anti-tribalist rant I'm on right now, and I am getting to your pandemic question. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Set it up. <laughs> so what is the? So what are we doing with the pandemic, right? When we can't be together, when we can't wrestle right. with each other. Well, we have a like. It is a real problem. We are really wrestling with it. So so it, it's. I mean, I guess, in a certain sense having the experience of the last 17 months of you know pseudo isolation in one form or another is really driven home the importance of asking why we worship what is it to worship yes you know i can certainly sit on my couch on a sunday morning and stream uh facebook of my congregation on my tv and have Mm -hmm. my coffee and sing the songs in my pajamas right and be entirely comfortable and maybe even have an experience or an encounter with god but that isn't necessarily church. Is that worship or what is that? And so uh, it, it's sort of, it's this double-edged sword because on the one hand, we we now are aware of the potential for a broader outreach and a broader way of imagining community and a way of imagining relationship mm-hmm. via these virtual platforms. But on the other hand, we crave that intense, like we intensely crave that human contact, that fellowship, that being together. And so um, I, I think, I teach, uh, one of the courses I teach is Foundations of Christian Worship. And when I teach that course, I say that worship is both churching and pubbing. It's doing these things together. So yes, churching is a part of worship, going to church, having those experiences, singing together, listening to a sermon or a homily, partaking of the Eucharist, offering your gifts. These All of these things is a part of worship, but it is not the sum total of worship. You also have to go and do life together with other people. You have to go to the pubs. You have to hang out, have a meal, mm-hmm. vent. Uh, you know, it's it's like it's learning and it's venting. It's singing and it's, I don't know, eating. And it's giving and it's receiving. It's this sort of multifaceted expression of being human. And then again, I'm just going to cycle back to this overarching thesis of, of ethics Um is, is, I guess actually to get there, I want to say uh, to invoke the spirit of Irenaeus real quick to say that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. That this mm-hmm. is that this is worship. It is accepting the creatureliness of the fact that hey, we're humans, and like this is a human. We're not God. We're not the Ubermensch. We are human beings, and to, the glory of God is to be human in the best way we can be, which again leads us to ethics, right? So worship in this very convoluted sort of sense is ethics. And what the pandemic has shown us is how important that is. And so we have an opportunity now, right? We have this opportunity to reclaim the, I will say the essence of worship or the holistic approach or the the whatever good word you want to use there for worship. Or we can double down on the isolating tribalist nature that we find ourselves in and hang out on our couch in our pajamas with our coffee. That's- yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally with you. I, I mean, I've done the sit on my couch in my pajamas wearing, you know, or with my coffee. And, and and I think part of it is from my experience being a pastor's kid, 
literally living next door to the church until I graduated right. from college. That wasn't church. That was, that was not worship. That was not, you know, and, and I get part of that is just me and it's a different experience. Yeah. But to me, the thing that was missing the most out of it was the community aspect of it was being gathered together. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing that both my wife and I really struggled with that because we both believe strongly in that and, and, and crave that community and that connection. And, and I think that's, I mean, you go back to, to the creation, right? God says it is not good for man to be alone. We are created not only to be in community with God, but to be in community with one another and be in relationship with one another. And it's, it's that whole aspect of worship where it's not just vertical between us and God. It's right. horizontal as well. It's us with our, our neighbors around us and those gathered together in worship. Right. So I, there, there's got to be that connection. And for some, I think for those who either have had, um, had trauma or hurt by the church or just haven't felt comfortable coming to church, I think that is definitely a great opportunity for them to connect in a, in a safe and comfortable way. And, and I think that's a good thing. And I think that is a beneficial thing, yep. but it's, it's just not that community aspect of it. So right. it's hard. And, and I don't know, you know, moving out of this, how we, how we best navigate that. Um, it's I mean, I think it's going to be a struggle. I mean, it's a struggle, but it, it has to be pursuing justice, right? Because if yes. you've been hurt and like, if you're, you're dealing with trauma and abuse in a church and you're coming out of that and you know, your, your recovery ass or your recovery space is a virtual worship service. It's, it's a way for you to experience mm -hmm. and not be uh, subject to the violence. Absolutely. That you've been That's good. Right. Yeah. But that doesn't solve the issue. That doesn't, that Correct. doesn't affect justice that gives a form of comfort or consolation or even healing, but we have to move towards justice uh, in, in all of these kinds of ways. And so that's that's why the second part of the book is really looking at this justice mm -hmm. aspect, because that's where we have to go. You can't leave the abusive, violating pastors or worship leaders at these places because right. they'll just continue doing this, you know, and, and it isn't it isn't just that you, you know, you cut off the, you know, that one person, okay, you're out of the church. That's not it. Cause it's just another head for Hydra. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. we're talking about, we're talking about some sort of systemic problems. Right? right. And so we have this bigger question of, well, what is the purpose of theology and what is the purpose of a church? Like, what do we do and what are those things doing? And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pause right there. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> No, that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, it, it is that challenge. And that's, that's been one of the biggest things that I've tried to focus on for those of us in positions of leadership is yep. making sure because, you know, I, I strongly believe this because I've experienced it firsthand that the devil is hard at work in the church the most. And especially for those who are in positions of leadership in the church. Yep. And so if we're as leaders in the church, as, as whether that's music leaders, pastors, whatever the case is, if we're staying firmly rooted in God's word in relationships with others, we're making sure that we are taking care of ourselves, all of those things that helps won't well, completely probably because we are all sinful, but it helps to fight off that. Right. And, and so that, to me has been a big focus of, okay, how do you get to the point that you're getting the rest that you need so that you're not up late at night while everybody else in your house is sleeping and, Hey, let me just click over to this porn site or whatever the case is, you know, it, it can happen oh, yeah. or even worse. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so I, th I think that's one thing, but that's not the whole thing. Right, and it's, it's, it's searching out all of those answers. And, and of course, as you said, justice is absolutely essential. And that has to be our focus. Right. And so, and so what do we do with, like, what kind of justice are we talking about here? Because obviously, you know, in a certain sense, when I say the word justice, I think most people immediately imagine, say, the criminal justice system or, mm -hmm. the or a judge or the police force or politics or something along those lines. 
justice actually has to be much bigger than that. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we just imagine justice as being retributive. And as a matter of fact, I'm not actually talking about that in the book, right? I'm talking about, I mean, you're aware of this, but obviously yeah. I'm talking about music, specifically music in a church. I'm not speaking of what politics should be or, you know, right. anything along those lines. Although I certainly have opinions about that. That's not what I'm actually talking about. What I'm talking about is how do we enact a relational restorative justice for our congregations in relationship to their leaders, right? Because mm -hmm. to be human, again, I'm going to go back to that Irenaean quote, is to say that is to be human is to be in relationship. Like that is what yep. the, you know, say the feminists really, really hit us hard on is saying, no, no, there is like the ontology of a human being is relationships because otherwise, what are you? Well, you don't exist because you have to have a relationship with parents. It doesn't have to be a good relationship, but there has to be a relationship. Otherwise, exactly. you do not exist, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. so if you, take that as the frame if that becomes the way you orient yourself towards justice or if that becomes what justice is this orientation well then that looks a lot different so then we're talking about well, how do we you know restore people to relationships through music or through worship rather than double down on some other i'll just say political idea you know that's that's the trick right uh, but but then again justice of course gets politicized you know as i mentioned earlier right because the first thing you think of when i say justice is of course politics so it's important to say well what is justice then and this and this is why in the book i go to uh martha nussbaum's capabilities approach flourishing mm -hmm. a flourishing life again this lines up with the irenaeus idea so to flourish is and she you know she illuminates under these 10 central capabilities that you have like this is like the basic necessity for being a fully human fully alive person right flourishing yeah. so justice relational justice is creating or preserving the conditions for people individuals respective of their capabilities to flourish to meet these needs that's justice right so can we do that through music yes of course we can takes a lot of work we have to think mm -hmm. about it a lot and that's not how we've been trained to do and think about it right right we've been trained in these various other kinds of ways but i think that that's that's what we need to do is to look at how we can create or preserve just relationships healthy flourishing people individuals and communities yeah i mean that is that's exactly it and, and the key word there is healthy mm -hmm. right and Absolutely. and and that's because every relationship whether it's a spousal relationship parent child relationship there's going to be those ebbs and flows right i mean right. for example my oldest daughter is 12 almost 13. we're hitting that time where she's gone from this happy cheerful little child who gets along all the time and is helpful and all that to now she is entering teenagehood where everything is awful <laughs> everything's awful there's hormones there's all of this and my wife and i know nothing and mm -hmm. but i but i think back to i went through the same thing when i hit teenagehood obviously different than a female but there's still there's still a lot of those similarities and and that's kind of that structure right that as as a child you you learn and you grow and you learn and you grow and then when you hit that certain point in development you kind of push back a little bit mm -hmm. and then i remember when i went off to college my parents got a whole lot smarter because everything that they said well you know you need to think about this because this is going to happen all of it happened because they had experienced all of that right i thought i knew better because I'm the smart child. And all of a sudden it was, well, I guess they were right about this, right? And, and, and there's that ebb and flow in a healthy relationship. Did that mean that my, my teenage years were unhealthy? Of course not, because that's, that's just that learning and growing. As a child grows, they learn to push those boundaries and kind of explore and express themselves in different ways. And, and it's that healthiness in those relationships that there's understanding that there's going to be those ebbs and flows. There's going to be those things that you will not completely agree on. And that's okay. Right. And it's thinking right. about it in that context of 
look at because I, I try to focus myself on this and I, I don't always do it as effectively as I can. It's whenever I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'm thinking about them as a fellow child of God and trying to see them as God sees them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and looking, looking at them and saying, okay, we aren't going to agree on everything. Maybe small things and maybe big things, but you are a fellow creation of God. You are redeemed by Jesus just as much as I am. That's our commonality. Yeah. Let's, let's go from there and find more commonalities if we can and keep going. You know, and it's, it's searching out that healthiness in those relationships. And sometimes yeah. that might not always be the case. You may just say, okay, there's just so much that we're not going to agree on that. Hey, you know what? We're both creations of God. We're both redeemed by Jesus and we're good. <laughs> and that's okay. And, that, and that's also another kind of relationship, right? That's exactly. not being out of the relationship. It's recognizing exactly. the boundaries of the relationship and living in that health, healthfully. And this is... Yeah, I, I think that I'm always in the back of my mind afraid of talking about relationship as if it's some sort of codependent, you know, right. guy in the sky. It's not at all what I'm talking about. I hope that comes out in the book, right? It, it, yeah, this absolutely. Is a, a lot more messy and there's a whole lot of tension and distance and boundaries and all of these kinds of things that are obviously at play with having. Well, I mean, it's even you look at the early church and you read through the epistles. It's messy. There's a lot of messiness there. There's arguments, there's disagreements because it's 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 all about those relationships, right? And exactly. and and that's exactly it. Relationships are messy. And that's the scandal of Jesus, right? And that's the scandal of the gospels, is that exactly. and this is I mean, this is my reading of it. I'm gonna own that, but my reading of the of the Bible and the gospel is to say that when Jesus says what you do to the least of these you do to me, he means it. <laughs> that this is that you don't that you don't experience God outside of your relationships with other people. And that, that mm-hmm. this is that, you know, we were talking about that, you know, X, Y axis, right? Yes. You know, vertical, horizontal. Well, I don't think it's actually an axis unless you want to like draw no. it and cut no. it into, into quadrants. It's actually something like a circle, right? And we're yeah. moving inside the circle. So it's kind of like the earth spinning and rotating on its axis while it revolves around the sun. It's a sort of, you know, three dimensional turning because sometimes God appears to be on the bottom of all of this. And sometimes God appears to be on the top and sometimes other people are in, you know, in mesh in this. And so we're actually inhabiting or encountering this circle in a dynamic mm-hmm. kind of way. And such that we really can't tell the difference between sometimes or anyway, we can't tell the difference between God or a person or these other kinds of things. And it's, I guess I'm a little nebulous here. I keep thinking of Bonhoeffer's quote, the, the whole, um, the words of God appear most readily on the lips of my brother. That's that's how Bonhoeffer puts it out, yeah. brother or sister. But, you know, it, it's it's this very, very clear, yeah, actually I encounter and I hear from God way more in the presence of others in this relational sort of space. Uh, again, maybe that goes back to that worship idea. Well, I think more often than not, we, we don't, you know, we're not five years old sitting with a guitar hearing God say to us, I want you to be a worship pastor. Being dead skunk in the middle of the road. <laughs> But most of the time, God speaks to us, not only through his word, obviously, but also through other people. I mean, sure. that's, that's exactly it. And, well, and it's, it's even God's word is through other people, exactly. right? Somebody yes. wrote that, somebody else yes. translated that, somebody else heard yes. that from God and wrote it down. So exactly. it isn't just that you get this direct line, you know, through God's right. word that I hear it. It's it's this mediate like highly mediated encounter that mm-hmm. like inescapably involves other people, and we just we lose sight of that. And I think that it seems like a small shift, and it probably is a small shift. And those yeah. are the most nefarious, right? When it's a small shift from going, yeah, there's a whole lot of interpretation and translation that goes into it before I even get it. But God's still speaking. No, you know that doesn't that doesn't diminish God's voice at all. But what mm-hmm. it does do is it eliminates this idea that I have some sort of unmediated direct access that is outside of the, you know, criticism or the questioning of anybody else. <laughs> that this is me and God exactly. and nobody can tell me otherwise. That's really dangerous. And that that's a it's an easy slip to go from I read the Bible and I learn from God to it's just me and God and I love everything, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's even, you know, I'm just like, I'm just, no, 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 you're absolutely, you are speaking to me and that's okay. (laughs) 
pointing at the screen because this is, you know, how I gesticulate, but I'm not talking at you. Chris. No, it's okay. You are. <laughs> we're, but that's, that's the thing. When we talk to others, we talk to ourselves just as much, right? But I think, you know, it goes back to that whole idea of, you know, like we were talking about initially with the, the pandemic of worshiping in your living room. Well, yes. I had moments, you know, I would every once in a while, um, when I lived in the Northwest, I would, I lived in Portland. So it was an hour drive up to Mount Hood. I would drive up to, to see the mountain on a Sunday, just because, you know, every once in a while, when I have a Sunday off to, to go and just do that. Well, yes, that was a worshipful experience. Absolutely. But that wasn't a communal worship experience. Right. You know, it was just me. Well, great. I can do that to my heart's content, but I'm not getting that encouragement. I'm not getting that feeling from others. And so, you know, it is, it, it goes back to that whole idea of connecting together, being filled up, connecting through community. Right. And, and that's, that's so important. And it, I think when, as, as I was reading through this and, and really kind of thinking about it in preparation for our conversation, when we're talking about justice and care, I think that, that those two really go hand in hand. Because as you were talking about, if we're, if we're thinking about justice as that relational aspect, right, that we want to be in a healthy relationship, well, if you're in a healthy relationship, you care for that other person and you want right. to see them being fully human, being fully developed, using all of their gifts. And I think that's, that's one of the things, again, that if we're disconnected, it's challenging, more challenging, not impossible, oh, yeah. but more challenging to care yes. for others. And I, I, and I think I, I've kind of seen this, I mean, especially over the, again, the last what, year or two, social media has definitely played a huge role in that, right? That we can just throw things out there and not have that relationship, not having that connection. Yeah. And, and, and while you know, I may have the best intent of caring in what I'm typing. I may not know this person. And so they're going to take it the wrong way or not in the way that I intended it to. And all of these things go together, right? If we're thinking about that healthy relationship, that's where care comes in. That's how yep. we care for others. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's, you know, like you were talking about of your experiences of, going to different you know places like homeless shelters and jails and things like that i think that's one of the more difficult places for those of us as christians to to get our heads around you know because honestly we're comfortable right oh yeah i mean we we, we have we have all of the things that we need and more really right. and it's hard to put ourselves in that place of having nothing or being a refugee or being in jail. And I, that's for me, one of the biggest places that honestly I struggle with of just trying to figure out how do, how do I do that? How do I care for that person other than just, okay, I'm going to pray. Okay. That's good. And, and, and that's needed. And that's what God wants us to do, but it's that intentionality part of it as well. And I think that goes hand in hand with care, right? Yeah. It's not just, it's not just, okay, something bad happened. You know, you, you see the whole, you know, thoughts and prayers. Well, okay. That's good. Wonderful, like, but can we do something about this now? Like <laughs> exactly. That's great. We can throw out the thoughts and prayers, and that's fantastic. But when does it become cliche and when is it actually going to become let's actually do something about this? Let's fix right. it. Right. Right, right. Yeah. We can pick on that issue for a long time, but it, but it's probably not not that's not I know. healthy. <laughs> I know. Like I said, I could I could talk about this for 10 hours or so. Well, just, yeah, me too, obviously. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, that does call us into, I would say, um, a close encounter with what we actually mean by prayer, right? Because we say Absolutely. thoughts and prayers. But what is prayer? You, you know, and, yeah. and because we say, if, if we say that music or worship is prayer, like obviously prayer 
is a you know critical component. Or Trump, Thomas Troger uh, said, what is it? Uh, music is prayer or music as prayer? Or singing is prayer? I have the book over there. It's the title of it. I can't hand it to you. Yeah, I think it's anyway, singing is prayer. Singing is prayer or as it prayer. It is... Um, that that's a, a you know critical thesis that's really important but it also says okay but to have a prayer isn't just thinking to god and it isn't just voicing our deep desires to other people it's also acting right praying with your feet praying with your hands praying mm -hmm. with your bodies exactly and and that's something that you know as we think through what is the church what is worship what is music and worship that's something we have to keep in mind we have to be cognizant and active on this well it isn't you know we can pray and we can sing about this but then we also have to probably go and do something you know maybe that means giving money to one of those you know vetted organizations that are getting people out of afghanistan right now or maybe it's you know doing something else like uh helping out at the homeless shelter or a soup kitchen these are these are real practical ways of praying um and we have to remember that as well absolutely and, and i think those the experiences that i've had when i've gone to a homeless shelter or helped out at a soup kitchen those things are are really what helped me to realize that well these people are just like me right yeah they're, they're, they're it's not anybody any different i mean they've for whatever reason whether it's their own doing or not that's not yeah. my place to judge or to be critical of they're in this situation and that's what makes it so terrifying. I think that's what makes us, you know, resist helping out and being a part of that is because it confronts us with both uh, the tenuous nature of our being, but also the potential for what we could become, you know? Yeah. And, and that's why we don't like to go there. We don't like to go to a prison or a homeless shelter um, because it scares us. It confronts us with the potential reality of maybe one or two choices way back down the line that would put mm -hmm. us in this place in the future that we could still end up there right so we hate funerals uh, my seven-year-old hates cemeteries because it he, he's very sensitive but it just just yeah. triggers him so bad because it you know it reminds him of the tenuous nature of life and the limited nature of what we could you know consider bodily life here and so these these are the things that we have to get over if we want to live and i will say that being in those places ministry quote unquote, such as it is, is way easier because once you get over that, it's, mm -hmm. you know, you're just, yeah. you're, you're living in your own skin. And that's an important component to, to being a Christian and living fully alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is so, so true. And I, I think that's, that's always the challenge, but we can point to scripture and say, this is, this is the command from God. Right. Sure. You know, to look after widows and orphans, to, you know, to to care for those who are in need, those who are struggling, those who are, you know, all of this is like, OK, then, you know, if that's what if that's what the Bible says that we have to do, then let's let's do it. Let's yeah, right. Let's well, let's figure out a way to make it work and let's go. <laughs> right. Right. And, and we have to we also have to remember that eventually that will be us as well. You know, and that that's the difference between, say, toxic charity and actually doing good things, right. <laughs> you know, is recognizing that you may or may not also be the least of these from time to time. Absolutely. That's, the, that's yeah. the other part of it. No, without a doubt. I mean, and, and it's one of those one of those things that you know, my 12 year old daughter that I was talking about before, um, about five, six years ago, she was in tears at bedtime because she could not figure out, this is at like six years old, how she could be down the road when she's an adult on Broadway, because that's her dream. Okay. And caring for orphans in Haiti. Mm. She didn't know how she could do that. And I'm like, sweetheart, if both of those things are things that you want to do, you will figure out a way to make it happen. That's not a problem. <laughs> I said that. That's not something you have to worry about right now. Right. You've but, got a lot of time to figure that out. But it said a lot to me about her heart for others because um, we're, we're connected with the ministry here that cares for, and we sponsor an orphanage in Haiti. Uh, and, and so that's been something that's been a part of our life for many years now of praying for, caring for, actively participating in caring for orphans. And so that's been her heart and her thought is, but how can I actually go and care for them in Haiti and be in New York at the same time? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, but I, I think that's, that's what our heart needs to be is how do we figure out to make this work, right? How do we, how do we do this and love others and care for others as God has called us to do it and this at the same time? And I think as, as you've really well stated it in the book and in our conversation here, I think it's, it's really music can definitely be that vehicle because music is one of those things that just goes over and above a lot of things, right? It's not something that's political. It's not something, it can be, of course, but it's not something that's spiritual. It can be, but it's just music, right? And music is a connector. Because if you think about it, where are those places where we all collectively sing together? Church is the biggest one. Church. Concerts, choirs. Concerts. Baseball games. Birthdays and baseball games. Yeah. Right? Those are the four main places that we collectively sing when we're gathered together. Yep. I, I think that's fascinating. I know, right? <laughs> that, is, that is those yeah. four places. But those... Be. Yeah. I mean, but those are the places that we come together. Okay. Yep. So how do we use music to bring that all together. And I think when we're, when we're thinking about it in the context of church and we're thinking about it in the context of worship, that's the heart of where we're at. Because the reality is most people that leave church on Sunday morning probably won't remember much of the sermon, but more than likely they might be humming one of the songs or hymns sung in worship throughout the week. Absolutely. And you know what's also great about that is they may not even remember the words about that song. Right. But they will remember how I feel about the people they were singing it with. Exactly. That's that's the that's the move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I and I think that's that's the heart of it all. It's it's thinking about it in those terms. Yeah. That it's it's one of those things that unifies us, right? Because when we're singing together, we are breathing together. Right. And so we're we're unifying ourselves. We're unifying our breath. We're unifying our sound. Even if people who say they can't sing are singing, we're still doing it together. Now, it may not all be on the same pitch. That's fine. May not sound the way we want it to. It doesn't mean it doesn't sound good. It may just not sound like what we want. Exactly. Exactly. But we're 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 unifying. And and that's the thing that we're again, going back to that collective thing. I can, I can be singing in my living room. That's just me. Okay. That's not me collectively. Do, I mean, yes, technically I can think about it. If I, if I expand my thought process, right. I'm, I'm collectively singing with other people who are sitting in their living rooms, singing along right. with the TV. Right. But I can't hear them. They can't hear me. You're not, you're not. So I had a grad student who just, he just graduated, but he, he said, um, immediate co-embodiment was what he talked about with being in church that's different than say worshiping virtually is that you lack that immediacy you lack that co-embodiment and that's that's a really critical component to to you know what we talk about with church music and and there's a part of me that um i mean i teach church music right i'm a professor of church music but it's not like i'm not so committed to church music so much as i am to people being church through music and with music and while musicking, this is, this is like, it's a subtle shift and it's semantic in some way, but I think it's a semantic that points to something very different. Um, and, and that's just, I'm gonna leave it there, but yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like I said, I could, I could go on and on with this for hours, but I think we probably, for the sake of time, <laughs> need to yeah, cut it a little I bit short. But I do need to get to another, another meeting here. So this um, has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. So any uh, future books that are on the horizon for you or any thoughts Man. of books? <laughs> Great question. Well, I mean, what do you want to read next? <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a number of projects in the works. I've got a number of collaborations that are kind of in the like the planning stages. Can't re- I should can't really say too much about them yet. Um, I mean, one of them is more 
theology, like, you know, what is relational theology? And let's sure. really dig into that. Uh, another is an ecclesiology. Like, what is a, you know, do we have a reframed doctrine of the church? Um, or do we just need to clarify something? Sure. Um, so those are, those are a couple. The other one that I've been working on for a while, and I don't know if this book will ever come to light of day because I keep going back and forth on whether or not I want to actually write it or actually publish it, I should say, yeah. is, uh, is working through that first topic we were on with beliefs, right? Like, like what are beliefs and how, mm-hmm. how, do, how do they work in conjunction with, say, faith? or ethics or yeah. you know yeah. all of that kind of stuff so that that's a, a possibility but i don't know if that one will ever come to light um but what is coming up first of all is i've got a, a a collaborative ethnography that i'm doing with a friend and colleague from northeastern university at furnace fest in birmingham next month actually via it's a christian uh punk and hardcore metal music festival that's being revived after 15 or 20 years wow not being there and it's it's really crazy how like popular that is it's really blown up and i grew up in this kind of the punk hardcore scene yeah and so i had this sort of personal affinity for this i'm like okay what happened like where did my people go what are they doing now i want to see 20 years later you know what do we all look like i'm a professor what are you right. you know uh, so i'm excited about that but we're gonna be looking at things like uh how industry and practical concerns of a, of a music industry impact upon, and I hate saying impact upon, but that's a good way to say this, uh, the worship of churches and people's experiences in congregations. And you know, what, is, uh, what is the scene kids attitude towards church now? And yeah. how, does, how does that work? And then also how is that configured in a sort of a nostalgic space, like a festival, <laughs> you know, where you're right. going back to relive your youth, <laughs> but as a grown up, and you can drink beer now and you know, yeah. whatever else. Uh, and and how does this change your perspective or how have you changed and what does this mean for you now? So it's gonna wow. be a really fun project. And yeah, that would be amazing. Coming out of that, but I'm not sure what sort of venue that's gonna look like yet, but. Cool. Yeah. So there's what's next for me. Awesome. Well, how can people get in touch with you, follow you on social media, whatever? Sure. I'm not as active on social media anymore. They can certainly follow me. Um, I don't do a ton of it there. You can, it's best to probably just send me an email. You can contact me through my website, nathanmyrick.com or through my faculty page at Mercer. Um, so that's, uh, I guess just music.mercer.edu. Uh, and then go to the faculty pages and you can find me there. That's I'll have easy. it all in the links on the show notes. Okay, so there you go. you'll be all set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly contact me through social, uh, send me an email that all that's great you probably best with a direct message or something like that because again i just not i'm not a great social media user these days <laughs> totally understood well thank you nathan so much for your time i really really appreciate it this has been so much fun likewise my pleasure wow what an amazing conversation thank you so much nathan for giving up your time and sharing such amazing and detailed insights I think this gives us a lot to chew on and a lot to really think about and wrestle with. I've linked to Nathan's information. Uh, If you wanna catch up with him, find out more about him and what he's doing and see some of the other books and other things that he's written. I'm also sharing a very, very, very big announcement that I'm sharing an announcement soon. Uh, My goal is on Wednesday to have this big announcement on the Church Music Makers Facebook page that I am going to be starting a Patreon for church musicians. What's going to be entailed? Well, there's going to be a couple extras that you wouldn't typically get on the podcast, whether that's uh, videos or other um, audio information for you, but most importantly you get resources. I'm making the pieces and arrangements that I've made available to you. The cost for all of this is going to be $10 a month, but I'm also going to be adding new things and new resources every month. The great part of it is you can make as many copies as you need for your groups. So whatever resources I put out there, they're yours. As long as you're subscribed, you have access to those resources. But wait, there's more. If you want to add on coaching on top of that, uh, that's $50 a month. But 
All that information will be up on the Church Music Makers Facebook page. I'll have an announcement, a big whoop-de-doo about it on Wednesday, September 1st. So follow the Church Music Makers Facebook page, like it if you haven't, as well as subscribing to the podcast if you're not already on whatever platform you're listening on, and there's a bunch of them, and also sharing it with other people and other church musicians that you think would appreciate and learn from this, especially this conversation with Nathan. I think this is this is a great opportunity for us to really ponder a lot of things in relation to what we're doing and why we're doing them in our worship services. So thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, share, review, all that good stuff, and I will talk to you next week.